The reading is taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 27 to 33. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you, by what authority I am doing these things. Well, friends, a very good morning to you. Uh, do please keep your Bibles open at the passage that Gillian has just read for us. And we're going to be looking at this passage under the title, A Question of Authority. A Question of Authority. Uh, but before we begin, uh, let's pause and ask the Lord to help us as we come to his word together. Won't you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the enormous privilege of an open Bible. And in these strange times when we're separated and distanced from one another, Lord, we need a special touch from you. So please draw near to each one of us this morning. Speak to us by your spirit and through your word that we might know each one of us that we've heard a word from the living God. And we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the new year is a great time, isn't it, for personal reflection and uh, for thinking about the things we tend to take for granted when we're back in our normal routines. So uh, this year, Gillian and I have done something a little different. We decided it was time that we made a proper budget. And I'm rather ashamed to admit that we've never really done that before. But now that we've got two financial brain boxes in the family, we decided that we couldn't dodge the issue for any longer. And so we sat down and we did it. Uh, and of course, now we can see clearly that what before was really only inspired guesswork. Uh, and as a result, we're making a few changes. We're going to be doing one or two things a little differently this year. Now, maybe at the start of the year, you did something similar might not have been in the area of personal finances and maybe you looked at your exercise routines uh, or your diet or maybe you looked at your use of time uh, how much time you spend on social media or watching television perhaps and you've decided to make a few changes well can i say that's a very good thing and a healthy thing to be doing but if we're christians there's one area of our lives where all of us need to examine ourselves carefully and not just once a year but regularly and not just on our own either because of course 
we can so easily deceive ourselves. Now this is something that we ought to be doing together with our brothers and sisters in church so that we can see the true picture and make whatever changes might be necessary. Now the area that I'm talking about of course is our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think one of the best ways to test ourselves is by asking two simple questions. Here they are. Firstly, is Jesus Christ just a category in my thinking? Second question, or is he the driving force in my life? And it's honest answers to those questions that will tell us where we really stand with Jesus and how things might need to change. And right at the start of the year, I want to challenge all of us to engage seriously with these two questions in 2021. Is Jesus just a category in my thinking, or is he the driving force in my life? Now our passage this morning will help us with this. It's the first of seven clashes or collisions or confrontations between Jesus and the religious authorities that come in chapters 11 and 12 of Mark's Gospel. Uh, and as you were listening to the reading with a question for Jesus and then a question from Jesus and both sides refusing to answer, <clears throat> you might have been thinking, well, <clears throat> this is a very long way from the world in which I live. But I want to assure you up front that this passage is absolutely packed with significance and relevance for you and for me. For a start, it's dealing with the question of authority. Why is the world as it is? This passage goes a very long way towards answering that question. Or think of the whole subject of religion, which seems to be dividing people around the world today more than ever. Why is that? Well, this passage gives us an answer. Or think of Jesus, who is the object of real hostility today for no very good reason. Well, this passage deals with all of these issues. So there are two revealing questions and two disturbing responses, and we're going to look at the passage under those two headings. Firstly, then, two revealing questions. Now, in our last study in Mark's Gospel, we saw Jesus and the disciples making their way into Jerusalem, and they passed a fig tree. And because there was no fruit on the tree, Jesus cursed the tree, and it withered to the roots. And we discovered that in this miracle, Jesus wanted his disciples to realize that the religious world in Jerusalem was dead. Well, in our passage, they're back in Jerusalem once again, and they're walking in the temple. And the temple, of course, was meant to be a place where truth was sacred and where there was a longing for the coming of God's Messiah. But in fact, the temple has become a place of error and evil and hostility to the Messiah. And one of the proofs of that is that a delegation of men from the Jewish council comes to confront Jesus. We know that this is an official visit because the three groups mentioned in verse 27, that is the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders, those three groups came uh, made up the Sanhedrin. So this senior religious delegation comes up to Jesus with their aggressive question in verse 28. By what authority are you doing these things? 
And who gave you authority to do this? And I want you to stop and think about this question for a moment because it is so very serious. For example, it's perfectly obvious from the rest of Mark's book that the people in Jesus's day recognised that he had tremendous authority. Many people today, if they think about Jesus at all, think that he's really pretty harmless, uh, that we don't really need to bother with him. But the people in Jesus' day saw him as an extremely powerful person, even a threatening person, because you see Jesus had this unmistakable authority. And it's undeniable because even his enemies can see it. Essentially, they're saying, you have very great authority. We can see that. Everyone can see that. But where does it come from? So please think about this with me. We know that when Jesus spoke, he spoke with great authority and the crowds were amazed. We know that when Jesus forgave sins, he did so with great authority and the enemies of Jesus were extremely angry about it. Uh, I wonder if you've experienced one of those moments when God's authority falls on his word and the word comes across with tremendous power. I wonder if you've ever experienced that. And I ask that because an awful lot of what we experience today in the established church is frail, uh, forgettable, empty, perhaps at best it's moderately entertaining. But when the power of God, or what used to be called the unction of God, falls on his word, it's arresting and it's life-changing. John Wesley was one of the men used by God in the great revival that swept through the UK and North America in the 18th century. But you know, when Wesley walked into a village for the first time, the villagers were usually hostile. In fact, they would often turn out with rotten fruit or rocks to throw at him. Some of them <clears throat> even let wild animals loose in the middle of a meeting to try and cause as much chaos as possible. And then John Wesley, wiping the fruit off his face and the blood off his cheeks, would actually begin to speak. And some who came to listen would actually start to listen more carefully. They'd drop what they'd been planning to throw, and they would stand there in hushed silence. And they were convicted of the way they'd been living. And many of those who'd come to attack John Wesley would find themselves weeping where they stood as they repented of their sin. Now, friends, that's what happens when the power of God falls on the word of God. So just imagine what happened when the Son of God came into the world 2,000 years ago and began to speak. The one who made the world with his word and now addresses the world with his word and changes the world with his word. His authority was unmistakable. And of course, Jesus not only spoke with great authority, he acted with great authority as well. He would cause a demon to leave a person. He would cause a disease to leave a person. He would cause a storm to be stilled. He would announce that the Sabbath was going to be free from all those tiresome rules, and then in fact the Sabbath was under his authority. So he demonstrated 
a unique authority. And here you see when they ask their question, the religious leaders are probably thinking of the way that Jesus has just cleared the temple. And they want to know who gave Jesus the authority to do it. But of course they're also trying to trap him into saying something blasphemous. So he spoke with great authority, he acted with great authority, and thirdly, he threatened their authority. And that, of course, is why they were so very angry. Surely this is the key to understanding their hostility. Jesus is not submitting to them, he's not cooperating with them, he's not applauding them. No, instead, he's expecting them to honour and submit to him. So friends, there's a clash of authority here, and that's why these people are so angry. And friends, can I say, I don't think you'll really understand the world we're living in today unless you understand that there is an inbuilt resistance to and rejection of the authority of Jesus in every human heart. The one who actually does have the authority and therefore runs the world, and who one day will be seen to have that authority, is hated precisely because he does have that authority. Friends, that is why the world is as it is. And you know this from your own heart. Because, of course, if there's a clash between what Jesus wants and what you want, well, you get frustrated, you might even get angry about it. One of our friends in the United Kingdom uh, runs a team ministry serving five or six churches. Uh, two years ago, he was preaching from the letter to the Romans, and in his sermon, he pointed out that homosexuality is not God's design. That's what the Bible says. But uh, there were two homosexual men in the congregation, and because these men uh, were and are high-profile figures in society, and wealthy and popular, the entire district became extremely angry and turned against the pastor. They tried their absolute hardest to have him removed. Two years later, absolutely nothing has changed. Now that's, you see, what happens whenever there's a clash between what Jesus wants and what we want. I guess a few decades ago, political leaders in the West and indeed across much of Africa, would publicly acknowledge the authority of God, even if their private lives suggested otherwise, because in public that was considered the right thing to do, to acknowledge the authority of God. But not now. So who's going to fill the vacuum? Well, you've only got to watch the news to find the answer. There's a long list of people who are claiming to have ultimate authority. So I don't think it's too much to say that this is the number one issue in the world today. Who has ultimate authority? I mean, if God is non-existent, and if he's not saying anything, which is of course what many people think, then of course you can do what you like. But if God is real, if he's who the Bible says he is, and if he's speaking clearly, well, you must listen, and you must heed him. It would be madness to do anything else. So Jesus has great authority. He demonstrates great authority. 
and he threatens every other authority, especially religious authority, which is, of course, the situation here. This delegation that's come to Jesus is religious, and religious people can sometimes be the most hostile because they've got a system of some kind. As far as they're concerned, everything hands, hangs on their particular system. But you see, more often than not, their religious system has come out of their own imagination. It hasn't come from the Word of God. So when Jesus threatens their agenda, the situation becomes heated and even dangerous. So in the world today, we see all kinds of religions that are non-Christian or fake Christian that are extremely dangerous. But where true Christianity operates, it brings healing, it brings hope, and it brings wholeness. So that's their question. Jesus, who gave you this authority? And behind the question is a great resistance to the authority of Jesus. And Jesus knows their question is hostile. And one of the reasons we know it's hostile is because Jesus doesn't answer. And instead he asks a question of his own. So in verse 29, Jesus says, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. In other words, who was behind the work and the ministry of John the Baptist? Now, friends, this is a very interesting question, because by asking it, Jesus is sifting their motives. If they're closed to John, they will be also closed to Jesus. If they're open to John, they might possibly be open to Jesus. So what Jesus does is he takes them back to John the Baptist. And of course, these religious leaders knew all about him. They might even have gone to listen to John the Baptist. I don't know, but some of them might even have been baptised by John the Baptist. But I guess at first sight, the question about John the Baptist seems to be a distraction. What on earth does John's baptism have to do with the authority of Jesus? Is Jesus simply trying to dodge the bullets, or is there more to it? Ironically, Jesus' question is actually answering their question. Because if you cast your mind back to chapter 1, it was when Jesus was baptised by John that the heavens were parted, that the Holy Spirit descended into Jesus, and the voice from heaven declared, Jesus is God's Son. So if these religious leaders really want to know where Jesus received his authority to do what he was doing, well, they've got to reconsider John's baptism. If they understand what John was doing and why he was doing it, well, there's a chance they'll understand Jesus. But Jesus knows their motives are wrong. And I'm sure you know what it's like when someone's motives are working against you and they're very resistant to everything that you're saying, and all of your arguments are going nowhere. Uh, interestingly, there's a new biography out at the moment on Charles Darwin. came out a couple of years ago, I think. Charles Darwin, of course, was the influential scientist 
who developed the theory of evolution in the 19th century. This new biography has been written by a man called A.N. Wilson. Now, A.N. Wilson used to be an atheist, but it seems he's been converted. And his book on Darwin has caused a tremendous stir, because he's not as enthusiastic about Darwin as so many people are today. And the title of the book is extremely revealing. It's Victorian Myth Maker. And in the book, he says that Darwin was actually not as keen to undermine Christianity as some of his followers. One of his followers was a man called Thomas Huxley, and he had the nickname Darwin's Bulldog. He was especially keen to get rid of Christianity. And A.N. Wilson says in the book that uh, Huxley had one simple device uh, for ending a discussion. He said that if you objected to Darwin's theory, you were a religious bigot. In other words, Huxley tried to control the conversation and silence all opposition by name-calling. Now, does that sound like a familiar tactic? Of course it does. It's certainly an effective tactic, because if you're having a discussion and uh, someone along the way resorts to name-calling, well, it's quite obvious they've got no interest in the truth. It's just a question of control. And we see this all the time today. Uh, Donald Trump seems to be an expert at it. So Jesus is testing their motives. But that's not all, because by asking this question, he's also being very kind to them. Because if they answer his question about John, then they're on the right track for working out who Jesus is which means that they're well on the way to discovering what he's come to do. Which means, of course, there's a chance for them to receive the new life that Jesus came to bring. I don't know about you, but I find this absolutely amazing, that when Jesus is being attacked, he responds with grace. He gives them an opportunity to seek and to find. In Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan says that even at the gates of heaven, there's a road which is heading off to hell, which a person might still take. But here, in effect, Jesus is saying that even at the gates of hell, which is where these religious leaders are, there's a little road that leads to heaven. And even at the gates of hell, there's an opportunity to take it. So their question to Jesus is in fact a trap. But his question to them is an opportunity for them to repent. And of all the things Jesus might have said to humble them or to terrify them, it's amazing that what he actually does is give them an opportunity to take the road that leads to new life. So there are the two revealing questions. One is hostile, one is kind. And when you put them together, you've got a key for understanding the world we're living in today because there's tremendous hostility from the world to the authority of Jesus Christ. And there's a tremendous desire in Jesus for people to respond to the authority and the love of God. Can I ask, how do you think you will find the answers to the deepest questions in your heart in 2021? The things that trouble you, the things you don't really understand. 
Can I say that it won't be by shaking your fist at God like the religious leaders in this passage? That's not going to get you anywhere. It'll be by opening your Bible and reading it regularly, humbly, prayerfully and joyfully. And it's only as you do that that you'll find truly satisfying answers to your greatest questions. Well now, much more briefly, two disturbing answers, two disturbing answers in the passage. In verse 31, Mark tells us that the religious leaders discuss Jesus' question. Now, the word in the original there means they debated it dishonestly. So they say, if we admit that John's authority was from heaven, well, we should be taking Jesus seriously. Because John said that Jesus was the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But if we say John's authority was merely human, well, the crowd will kill us. And we don't want to acknowledge the authority of Jesus, that he is the Christ, because then we'll lose control. And equally, we don't want to face an angry crowd because that would undermine our authority and our credibility. So in verse 33, they do what so many people do today when they're faced with the authority of Jesus. They claim to be agnostic. They say, we don't know. Now think about that. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because here we have a group of highly intelligent men. And the question is not complex. It's very simple. But the very best they seem to be capable of is to say, we don't know. And it's a humiliating statement because they obviously don't have the integrity to pursue the truth. And they don't have the integrity and the courage to deny the truth either. I wonder whether you know people like this. I'm sure you do. They're not willing to follow the evidence to Christ, <clears throat> but equally they're not willing to deny the evidence for Christ. They want to sit on the fence. The problem, of course, is that according to scripture, there is no fence. And today it's very easy, isn't it, for people to ignore Christ when things are going well and you might be able to solve your problems by yourself. But can I say that you can't sit on this imaginary fence forever? It doesn't settle the question of the evidence. And of course, it doesn't settle the question of your mortality. Uh, in his book called Holiness, Bishop J.C. Ryle makes a very telling comment. He says, if your treasure is all here in this world, your present course cannot last. Your grey hair, your age, your sickness, your infirmities, your death, all this is in front of you and it must be met. What will you do when you meet it? <clears throat> so you see how foolish these men are. They come back to Jesus, and it's the same with so many today. They think that by putting off a decision about Jesus, they can put off dealing with Jesus. But friends, that's impossible. Because in the Gospels, Jesus does not say, if I come back. He says, when I come back. And he doesn't say, if I judge the world. He says, when I judge the world. These things are inevitable. And those people who 
throw themselves into anything to distract them from having to think about eternal things are, I think, of all people most to be pitied. So the first answer in our passage here is we don't know, meaning really we won't say. And the second answer comes from the lips of Jesus in verse 33. And effectively Jesus says, well, I won't say either. Of course, it's not that Jesus couldn't answer their question. He could have answered it in a word. But what on earth would be the point? Because he's dealing here with people who are totally closed. They don't actually want to know the truth. So I do hope that this will be a timely warning this morning for anyone listening who is closed to the evidence about Jesus. Uh, if that's you, I need to say that there's actually no hope for you. And I want to urge you to have some integrity and to open your mind to consider the evidence. If you like, come and speak to me or one of the ministry team would love to help you. And it's also a warning to anybody listening who is selective about the Christian faith. So this is the person who says, you know, there are certain things in the Bible I am willing to accept, but there are other things I simply can't accept. And what they're saying, you see, is I'm in the driving seat. I'm deciding what's true and what's not true. My authority trumps the authority of Jesus. But friends, if that's you, you need to realise that Jesus has all authority. He certainly welcomes the genuine seeker. But you don't get to bargain with Jesus because he has all authority. And when you do come to the one who has all authority, you'll find to your delight that he's full of mercy and kindness and grace and love towards you. And as we close, please notice in verse 33 how remarkably calm Jesus is in the face of their hostility. He's not overwhelming them with his authority, although he could. He's not terrifying them with his authority, although he could do that too. And he doesn't need to, uh, the, it doesn't feel the need to prove his authority to his enemies. And he's not panicked by impressive celebrities saying, well, frankly, Jesus is finished. Why not? Well, because he has all authority. He is the king of God's kingdom, and he knows that all people are like grass and are going to perish. But he has all authority. And yet, he was willing to lay it down and go to the cross and pay the penalty for our hostility with his own blood, and that means if you belong to him, the one who has all authority and who's paid the penalty for your hostility, my friend, you are in the safest hands in the entire universe. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, at the start of this year, help us to examine our hearts and to show, uh, to examine whether Jesus is merely a category in our thinking or whether he really is the driving force in our lives. And we thank you this morning for reminding us that Jesus is not only good and kind and patient and loving, 
but that he has all authority. So help us this year to live in the light of that reality, for we ask in his precious name. Amen.